Today at the Kansas Reflector, we're going to dive into a subject that affects everyone's wallet. It also touches threads of Kansas's energy and environmental policy. It's called securitization. Don't be scared. The idea isn't as complex as you might assume. Here to explain it all are Paul Johnson, a public interest advocate who has followed energy policy at the Capitol for years, and Zach Pistora of the Kansas Sierra Club. What we're talking about is a bill overwhelmingly passed by the Kansas legislature and signed by Governor Laura Kelly. It allows investor-owned utility companies to have ratepayer-backed bonds issued. Now, proceeds from the bonds would be used in two ways. One, it would help utility companies retire expensive power plants, think coal, and transition to alternatives such as wind or solar. Two, it would enable companies, think Kansas Gas Service, to deal with price shocks on natural gas from February's cold snap, and it would, it would layer those costs over time to make it more reasonable to taxpayers. Zach Pistora, Sierra Club. Sierra Club is among a whole host of organizations, power companies, environmental groups, the KCC itself, that endorsed this bill. Why? We've supported this legislation for this is the third year, finally got it passed, because the, the major advantage of securitization is because of the bonding of the debt owed, because it's uh, guaranteed non-bypassable charges, you're able to obtain a lower capital uh, cost, lower interest rate on that debt compared to traditional financing. So right now, you know, we have to pay a rate of return to the utilities on that debt an eight, nine percent by securitizing, utilizing ratepayer backed bonds that debt uh, interest rate becomes 2 3%, 4%, which is a lot less um, and, and thus creates savings for consumers uh, in paying to back that debt. That's a big reason why we want to uh, utilize that is because of the economic savings for mm -hmm. securitization. And, and we hope, Paul Johnson, that some of that money goes to consumers, some of that savings, right? Well, it's up to the, the Kansas Corporation Commission, three members that regulate um, investor-owned utilities like Evergy or Kansas Gas Service, but primarily use this. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be in their court to, to make sure that ratepayers do benefit. Um, question being is, what will be the balance between the people who actually own Kansas Gas Service or Evergy versus ratepayers, and then what's the best way in the future to use these savings to guarantee, you know, a more, uh, uh, better utility prices in the future for Kansans? All right, Paul, let's, I think there are two parts to this, this House bill, House Bill 2072 that was uh, passed by the legislature and signed by the governor recently. The first is this natural gas thing from February. That's pretty easy to understand. The, the gas or natural gas prices surge and uh, ratepayers could end up with massive bills right now unless something is done. Could you just kind of explain quickly what they're doing? Well, I, I think I think you said it right. I mean, they're going to float, you know, ratepayer, you know, ratepayer back bonds. I mean, ratepayers aren't going to have a choice if these bonds are floated, mm -hmm. and it is going to, you know, it's going to stretch out the payments for, you know, period of what five, seven years. I mean, how long are? And Zach may know the answer to this, but. Um, you know, my only question is um, how equitably will all of that, you know, will it be tied to the, to the customers who overuse gas, unfortunately, or will this bad debt just be put into a lump sum and spread over 
all, all ratepayers of Kansas Gas Service and how fair or equitable is that. And mm-hmm. the other thing I would say is, do the investors have any skin in this game? You know, they, they get a guaranteed rate of return because of the pu- public monopoly status they have with Kansas Gas. What is their part in helping to offer, you know, to, to forego some of these higher natural gas mm-hmm. prices? So Zach, one of the issues here and the second part of the bill dealt with, you know, Evergy's collection of coal plants. There's a, a half a dozen or so coal plants still operating in Kansas. And they, they are kind of ending the end of their life. And there's questions about burning coal anyway, but there's still uh, investments made in those plants, largely to clean them up because they were some of the biggest polluters around. Uh, that big dollars were spent on that. And so that they want to kind of take that into account with the bonding. Can you kind of explain maybe from the Evergy's perspective why they might like securitization or this bonding strategy? Well, I would think from the utility, it takes a bunch of risk out of the, the issue of, of whether they're going to get paid back on these uh, previous investments. As you alluded to, billions of dollars in investment into uh, coal plants in Kansas uh, over the decades, and at any point, if they become um, not used or useful, the Kansas Corporation Commission could dictate that, well, uh, that investment is no longer uh, prudent for the, uh, the ratepayers to pay back, and so that leaves the shareholders of the utility pretty vulnerable uh, that they are not going to recoup their investment. Uh, what securitization does, it provides a happy medium to say we will pay back, uh, pay off that debt, but at a lesser rate of return uh, through a, a lesser cost of capital securitized bonds. You can retire your uneconomic asset and transition through those savings, through that delta of the savings from an 8 to 9% rate of return to 2 to 3%. You can so, take so those savings. Dive into that for a second. Yeah, there's a guaranteed eight to nine percent rate of return. The bonds could be issued for two to three percent. So what we're really talking about here is maybe that six percent uh, section there that could be tipped to the investors or it could be tipped to consumers. And over the long term, that's the quote unquote savings, right? Correct. Okay. That's correct. And and when you take you know six percent, you take that on hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. That's a pretty sizable chunk. And so uh, Paul's right. It'll be up to uh, proceedings at the Kansas Corporation Commission how we take those savings when we do retire a plant, um, an economic asset. What do we do with those savings? Do we allow the utility to reinvest that into new uh, infrastructure that will service decades to come, that will save uh, prices for ratepayers in terms of cheaper fuel uh, and operations and maintenance? Uh, do, we, do we return that just as a, a pay down on, on rates to uh, consumers? Uh, do we help with worker transition, community impact transition? Um, if you lose a, a power plant, uh, what about that local uh, property tax revenue, et cetera? So there's a lot that could be done with those uh, savings. All that will take place th- through discussion at the KCC. Paul Johnson, I want to step to the side here and look at ownership of Evergy itself, big utility company, and uh, maybe 30 40% of it is owned by uh, a handful of speculative investment firms. What do we think about uh, these, these firms getting their guaranteed return 
Uh, and but now the ratepayers are paying for the bonds to decommission or retire coal plants. But also when that power has to be replaced by solar and wind, the ratepayers are also going to pay for that development too. So ratepayers are getting it uh, from all sides. But I just wonder about a utility like this and the owners of it guaranteeing that profit. Well, it's a mega question, Tim, and. Um, <clears throat> You know, I mean, we're, what we're talking about is privately owned firms that have public utility monopoly status. So when Evergy has to, captive ratepayers, they have a defined service area. You can't buy electricity from any other thing if you live in Topeka or, you know, Wichita or whatever. And same way with gas services area. So question is, what is risk on the part of the owners of, um, of these companies? And as you mentioned, you know, they're about... Uh, four now that if you own over five percent of of a public utility, you um, it has to be listed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and so we know for Evergy that there's Vanguard, there's BlackRock, there's T Rowe Price, and the latest player in this is an entity called Elliott Management. Those four own somewhere between thirty and forty percent of Evergy today, and you know the question is. Do they care, you know, for the next couple generations whether we're going to have reliable electric and, and more affordable electric rates? Or, or, or um, and actually, Kansas Gas Service is very similar in, in the handful of companies that, that own them. And I mean, it's hundreds of millions of dollars a year that uh, that ratepayers provide in profits to these privately owned monopolies, and the VAT, and they don't know exactly where the rest of it goes. So. <laughs> Last thing I'll say is, you know, in the merger docket that, that came down between Weststar and KCPNL when they were put together to form Evergy, Weststar thought they could identify 7% of their stockholders as Kansas residents. And KCPNL thought maybe 2%. Now, I know they have some on the Missouri side. But, I mean, I think it's an open question that lawmakers and policymakers need to have in Kansas is that um, why... When, when you're shooting fish in a barrel and you own a public monopoly like Evergy does, why do you get 8 to 9% at a time when interest rates in this country are barely above zero? Yeah, it does sound hefty. Zach Pistora, I want to read to you a quote from Representative Blaine Finch, a Republican from Ottawa. He was explaining to the Kansas House kind of the parameters of this bill, which was backed by a huge bipartisan majority. So he was addressing the concern among some people about, oh, this just, you're, you're flipping a switch and we're gonna lose our coal plants. And you know, what, what does that all mean? So here's what Blaine Finch said. This bill does not change anything about the state's energy portfolio. It does not lead to more of, of the types of energy or less of another kind. This is simply a finance instrument to make sure rates and rate containment can happen at the end of an, uh, of, of an asset's life. So what do we think about that whole idea of not changing the portfolio? He's probably right, short term, but not not long term. Well, it, all of that, what he said is true, but uh, we got to have uh, policymakers in Kansas start thinking about the long term, but also the near term. I mean, in uh, four years time from 2015 to 2018, Evergy's coal fleet lost uh, approximate $267 million 
in premium prices. So think about our coal plants running at a higher cost compared to our other energy sources. So clarify so, that loss. What do you mean by loss? If, if they could have taken an alternative available source, the price would have been X but they were running their coal plants, which they own, at a cost of Y. And that's the 200-something million dollar gap you're talking about? Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah, on the Southwest Power Pool, because we feed into a 14-state regional power pool, we're able to attain uh, a cost of energy less than sometimes what it means to run our own coal plants in our own mm -hmm. state. Wind is cheaper. And so uh, the more we can utilize wind and other clean energy sources, solar is becoming the same situation, uh, it comes at a premium to run our coal plants in Kansas. So, you know, the representative is right. This is just a financial instrument. But if used wisely, this tool should be able to retire these uneconomic assets in favor of cheaper, reliable energy that we can diversify our portfolio, uh, create infrastructure that'll be utilized for decades to come, avoid fuel and operating maintenance costs uh, that, that continue to, to charge us extra, and to think, a number of our coal plants, we have about nine coal units in Kansas, many of them we only run 50% or less capacity, okay? So we're running them on a, a whole less than half the time. And But when we do, we're charged a premium extra. It's time we, we think about our energy picture in the long term. Think about how we can bring down some of our high electric rates that Kansas are paying and utilize this tool for good. And for, for, yes, customer, well, for, well, for customers, where it really shows up is uh, in the automatic fuel adjustment clause that's on your bill. So when you run a coal plant and you don't buy that cheaper wind electricity that's available from the Southwest Power Pool, then that spread, the higher cost of running the thing, is automatically flown, flowed through to your bill. And it's on your bill, which no one reads. Well, that's... Um, it's full of numbers that are a little, I think, intentionally hard to understand. That's, that's a fair statement. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, so many of our studies, and, and, and we can't uh, forget that one of the legislative studies by London Economics, as hired on by the legislature uh, to study energy issues in Kansas, identified securitization as one of their top four recommendations to help lower electric rates in Kansas. Because so, electric rates in Kansas generally are not competitive with surrounding states. They're much higher. And in large part due because of our heavy investment in coal, because of the fuel prices changing, um, some of it because of our uh, infrastructure needs, getting them up to speed as far as transmission and actualizing the cheap resource that is wind power in Kansas. Uh, but there's more to be done. Of course, we won't retire all these coal plants overnight. But we should. It's in our interests of Kansas in a lot of different ways, in economics, environmentally, in health costs, if we were to retire them sooner than later. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but both of you can take a crack at this. In the State House, there was some real hand-wringing from some people uh, who just kind of put them in the coal camp there, uh, who, who continue to claim that wind and solar is unreliable, that coal plant is the only guaranteed thing we have. Look at how cold the people in Texas got. And they said, oh, people died there. Uh, keep in mind, some of these people are the same folks who shrug their shoulders at the number of COVID deaths in Kansas. But uh, uh, so, so what do we think about that whole notion of, of and I'll, I can read you a quote from a legislator talking about this, but uh, what do we think about them saying coal and solar is unreliable, coal is reliable? 
Well, and, and the reality was that coal wasn't rea- you know wasn't reliable during that February cold snap. And when coal po- piles freeze like our, ours did, you can't chip that out. And then when even if you can chip it out and run it through a boiler, you're you know because it's so laden with moisture, it, you don't have the heat content. So uh, and actually now in Texas they had problems all the way around, but that was because they you know. Same thing happened to them in 2011, and they did nothing to weatherize or to to get prepared for a cold snap. So they had some renewable problems, but they had more with their natural gas supply. So coal's not a given. And the other reality is that now that Kansas has 40 wind farms and you know, 40% of, of our electricity last year came from wind. We have a much better understanding of how to balance wind loads. than Zach Pastor, you want to add anything to that? Just want to say uh, wind power is the uh, predominant uh, energy source in Kansas for electricity right now, surpassing coal. Mm-hmm. And we've done <clears throat> so much to uh, uh, pr- make progress in, in wind and clean energy in Kansas. And what has it done is it provided the cheapest, single most cheapest energy source uh, for our region and let alone in the country. Yeah, actually, Southwest Power Pool has the lowest wholesale um, electric rates of all the power pools in the country. So, and we are the Saudi, you know, between North Dakota down to West Texas, we are the Saudi Arabia of it. But the context here problem is if we're going to use securitization, we need a state energy plan to put it into context. And Zach mentioned London economics, you know, uh, ratepayers were forced to come up with $330,000 to have a study for the legislature to talk about high electric rates. And besides the securitization point Zach made, the number one point on the recommendation list was a state energy plan. So we know which of these coal plants we need to retire and how we transition. And the other thing, last thing I'd say is solar is just barely beginning in terms of, of Kansas. I mean, we, we haven't, you know, we're not even taking baby steps with how much more solar could, could uh, evolve in our state. Let me just point to Senator Mike Thompson, a Johnson County Republican, mm-hmm. who is a, well, you could call him a climate change denier, I guess. He's a former... Could claim uh, it. <laughs> uh, he's a former Kansas City TV weather guy, so yeah. maybe he knows. Uh, here's a quote about this whole securitization bill. It is the first domino to fall in the transition away from reliable power sources like coal toward renewables that are unreliable in Arctic outbreaks. So that kind of gets to the point of the, the coal snap we had. In that same Senate debate... But our, our renewables in Kansas did not go down at, at appreciably during the, the February cold snap. I mean, we had enough understanding of weather patterns and of temperature changes that that didn't inflict problems on on our wind capacity. Yeah, Zach, my, my sense is that the issue of power supply wasn't a Kansas-born relative issue it was really texas it was incapable of serving its customers kansas yeah did uh, because of its part of the southwest power pool did have to help curtail power and provide power to other parts of the region. power pools is well, how many states 14 states, 14 states. Uh, they, about 800 they, uh, power plants they um, kind of they kind of leveled the scales throughout that region and and uh, well the stayed. day before Today, West Evergy is bidding into the Southwest Power Pool grid how much electricity they want to sell tomorrow. When the Southwest Power Pool really started to get into wind, they thought maybe they could handle 30% load on the whole system. 
And today they're saying that 60 to 70 percent is possible. They're just learning. One final thing on the uh, senator's comment uh, that uh, coal is our savior has <laughs> been quoted in the past. You know, uh, we absorb the shock of the gas prices because in, in large of the uh, captive to the supply, the wholesale supply out there, the extraordinary costs that this, uh, this legislation will help deal with. But the same could be said for coal. We get our coal from Wyoming, and if, if something happened there up in Wyoming, we can't uh, provide the power that we need here in our own state. We can with renewable fuels. We can with storage and energy efficiency solutions. So uh, the price of coal continues to rise. And so, yeah, while we could continue to utilize an outdated uh, energy infrastructure uh, with aging uh, coal plants, et cetera, what we ought to be doing is thinking about resiliency as it goes for, for the time forward. Renewables and storage can provide that opportunity. Speaking for of us. forward thinking, Senator Karen Tyson, a Parker Republican, uh, who has a the Lacine coal plant uh, in her district, more specifically, she said, in her backyard. Uh, so maybe it is that close. She suggested in a debate, in which she opposed this bill along with Senator Thompson, she said, I think we should take a closer look at, at our power plants. I think that we could uh, convert them to nuclear or natural gas plants in the state of Kansas. What about that, Zach? Well, uh, no state has built a new nuclear plant in decades. It is the single most biggest uh, cost as far as uh, capital cost to invest in a coal, uh, excuse me, nuclear plant. Uh, so no one's building them for, for reason, because of money. Uh, gas plants, we shouldn't be building gas plants in Kansas because they're the next stranded asset. You saw how ga gas was unreliable in Costas during that February event, big time. Uh, so wh why don't we utilize more renewable, clean energy, doesn't cause man-made earthquakes uh, like wind and solar energy storage and energy efficiency. Uh, that should be uh, the way of the future. And then let's not forget, extreme weathers, extreme temperatures make the power infrastructure more vulnerable. What's causing the extreme temperature? Anthropogenic climate change, burning of greenhouse gases. We don't want to burn more greenhouse gases. We want to burn way less greenhouse gases. That's why clean energy future is so important. Paul Johnson, I wanted to ask you about uh, the idea that Kansas regulators, the Kansas Corporation Commission and others, should perhaps invest more in the analysis of energy efficiency investments when we get let these public monopolies uh, operate these this utility system. So, so what about energy efficiency as it relates to Kansas? Well, I mean, it starts with the state energy plan, and we really need to fully understand how we use, you know, what's the end use of, of um, electricity and natural gas in our state, and what are our choices then to, I mean, if you can save it cheaper than you can produce it, then that ought to be part of, um, the, uh, of a plan that we don't have. And we've never done a, we've never done a serious end use analysis about you know, we have 1.2 million homes in Kansas. How many of those are, you know, properly insulated? 
a third of those homes happen to be rentals, you know, and that's a whole problem mm-hmm. between renters and, and landlords. You know, there's much better lighting these days. There's much better motors, much more efficient air conditioners. Um, I mean, there's just some, every dollar we don't spend on Wyoming coal, for example, and we put in insulation or, or uh, improving, you know, uh, and lowering utility costs for people in Kansas, it's economic development. And, and we just haven't done that. And I don't think the KCC can make sound decisions going forward without developing a comprehensive energy plan and really understand what our energy efficiency investments are. Say again, most many states have a, a, a large, broad energy plan. Well, I, I think 42, I want to say, 42 of the 50 states have a state energy plan that they've developed, and they use it for, uh, you know, to make these choices about, uh, you know, what would, you know, which of these coal plants should we retire? I think natural gas was probably going to be with us for a while, and it is a balancing, you know, you can gear up a, a gas turbine at times to really help balance the load off some of the fickleness of wind at various times. So there's different things. But like I said, we've virtually not scratched the surface on solar uh, in our state, and we're just starting into serious commercial-scale uh, storage units that uh, can capture wind at night or, or, you know, extra solar at, you know, peak times and then use it at different times. Yeah, you get the sense of battery technologies coming. I don't know the timeline of it, but they're, they've been working hard on it. Well, so, let me, one ahead. quick thing. The Southwest Power Pool is, you know, if, you, if we wanted to add a new power unit to that, they have about 800 units out of those 14 states we've been talking about. They have a, a horizon. They're looking out 25 years where we're going with new energy production in, um, in, in the Southwest Power Pool. 60% of it is going to be wind, 30% of it is going to be solar, and 10% is going to be battery storage. There may be a gas or two peaking unit that come into play here, but um, they, you know, it's clear in their mind. And the last thing to say about wind is, one, you can lock in prices for 20 years, and you know what your electric prices is. You don't worry about the price of coal. And the last thing about wind is it uses no water. That our power plants are next to crop irrigation are the second highest use of water in Kansas. And as we deal with droughts and other things, we could use that water for more like growing good food. Yeah, Zach Pastora, do you want to talk about the future before I ask you both about concluding thoughts? Just talk to me a little about the energy future for Kansas that you'd like to see. Wave your wand. Well, uh, I, I, I'd like to offer a few uh, real examples of how we can utilize this legislation for our clean energy future. Uh, just replacing the 1978 Unit 1 at Jeffrey Energy Center. It's a 720 megawatt plant. Um, it only ran at 50% of its capacity in 2017. If we were to change that out, utilizing securization with a quarter wind, quarter solar, and half energy storage in 2023, it would save customers $50 million in capital costs and $14 million in fuel and maintenance costs. So those are real numbers, ways millions of dollars that can be saved just by retiring a plant we only use 50% of the time and transitioning it, replacing it with cleaner, cheaper, more reliable energy for the for the future. So I just wanted to give that as an example. But kind of zooming out here, yeah, Kansas is 
is, is uh, uh, pretty blessed with these abundant natural resources that are clean and becoming increasingly cheaper. Uh, we have an obligation to our to not just Kansas but the country and potentially even world to utilize these clean energy resources to help tackle climate change. Uh, that continues to cost billions of dollars for Kansas. I think I saw federal government data that in the uh, last previous 10 years from 2010 to 2020, Kansas was part of 42 extreme weather events that cost the state $20 billion. And so we have to think about, well, there's a, a pressing uh, need to bring down lower electric rates for Kansas, and we can do so with securitization. But transitioning these fuels to cleaner energy sources have a broader impacts for jobs, for, for uh, health and environmental impacts. So uh, all those things would sum it up. Because we're in a transition right now. We have our biggest utility looking at uh, new plans, their sustainability transformation plan, their integrated resource plan. These are five, 10-year, 20-year plans. Uh, that with large investment, I mean, we're talking billions of dollars in upgrades of investment. What can we do to help lessen uh, the impact to consumers as Paul has talked about? Uh, one way that we can do that is really embracing the opportunity of clean energy uh, for Kansas. All right, Paul Johnson, you can take a swing at that too. Well, at, um, I mean, I wanna go back, I wanna come back to the ownership question and exactly, um, you know, whose needs are going to be met here between ratepayers who, you know, are captive and have to pay for that electric or natural gas bill versus investors who, are, in my mind, really have quite a free ride. And um, the latest player in this I mentioned is Elliott Management, and they spent $750 million and bought 5% of Evergy a couple years ago. Then they wrote a letter to Evergy and says, we want you to retire four of your board members and we want to put two of our people on your board. And then they set up a special subcommittee of those two and then two who are regularly on the board to come up with, well, what, um, how can we improve investor income out of Evergy? And the game for Elliott Management is essentially to bump the stock price of Evergy and then uh, enforce Evergy into a merger or takeover. And once that happens, Elliott Manage will be gone. They've made their, spe you know, it's like Bain Capital, and, you know, it, um, they'll, they'll take their speculation and, and out the door. They come in and play around and then sell at a higher price. Right. And, and we are left with understanding how to afford an essential life service of energy. Zach, I just wanted to ask one final question. Do you have any heartburn about... Uh, concern about the financial benefits of securitization actually trickling down to consumers. Well, we built that into the uh, the legislation. This There's year. a phrase in there, right? That yes. Says, it, the the securitization bonds says uh, the imposition of securitized utility tariff charges are expected to provide net quantifiable rate benefits to customers or would avoid or mitigate impacts to customers. We want to see this uh, lower electric rates for Kansas, and we expect that it should. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I want to thank Paul Johnson, public interest advocate who has followed energy policy for a long time, and Zach Pistor of the Kansas Sierra Club. Thanks for joining us on the Kansas Reflector. Thank you.